0: We're in John chapter number 6 this morning. Uh, I will have to give a slight disclaimer. I had surgery this week, and my body has great trouble with anesthesia and pain medication. And it seems like it takes extra long for that to clear out of my system. And so what seems perfectly clear in my mind doesn't always come clearly out my mouth. And so I uh, have Carol on... Uh, deck here and she's on guard and if she gives the signal we're done (laughs) and so uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't give her that option very often but I will this week everybody's wanting to know what exactly is that signal Um, but the middle of the week I was reading uh, this passage of scripture and it just just one phrase of it just gripped me and I haven't uh, it's just been mulling in my mind ever since. Uh, so let's see where the Lord will take us this morning. John chapter number six. We'll start reading in verse number sixteen. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. title of this morning's message, It is I, it is I. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name, and what a privilege to gather together, to sing your praises, to contemplate your truth, to read your word publicly. Lord, we're such fortunate children to have a copy of your word, and we are also very fortunate to have your blessed spirit who was given to teach us. So we ask that this morning your spirit would use your word to teach your truth to your children. We expect this, Father, not because we deserve it, but because the Lord Jesus already purchased it, and it is within your heart to do your children good. And so each person here, Father, has their own needs, their own problems, their own situations, and I ask that your spirit would not overlook anyone today, but that each heart would be affected in the way that it needs to be by the power of your word Carried by your Spirit. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The story is a very familiar one and it has companion passages both in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark. If you're familiar with the passage, the feeding of the 5,000 has just taken place. The Lord Jesus, after he fed the 5,000, went up into the mountains to pray. And the disciples went down to get into a boat. Now, the word used here is the word ship, which means a vessel that floats. But the word ship in our mind conjures up the wrong picture. In our mind, a ship gives us the thought of a cruise ship or the old Jolly Roger pirate ships that were fairly large. But if what we saw in Israel when we were over there is very accurate, you must think more like a large rowboat. They were not very large at all, and it would be almost, with this many guys and the 12 disciples, it would be almost shoulder-to-shoulder kind of room in this boat is all that there would be. It was not a very big boat. So the wind is, begins to blow while they're out there, and the sea becomes treacherous. The disciples are rowing for all that they're worth, and they're not making any headway. Now, according to Matthew, It was the fourth watch. That means it was between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. As they look over the water through the storm, they see a figure coming toward them. Try to put yourself in this position. You're out on the water. The waves are high. This is a really bad storm. You're stuck out there because you cannot row out of this thing. And you look out across the water, and you see a figure coming toward you. Now, what kind of a figure walked? This moving across the water. Okay, you have to expect this to be some kind of spirit. What else could be walking on the water? So the disciples, when the figure gets close, they cry out in fear. And the Lord utters these words. It is I. Be not afraid. And that phrase, it is I, be not afraid, that has held me captive all week. So let's explore it. We'll be real simple today. Point number one we have a tendency to fear. We have a tendency to fear. When did fear become part of the human experience? What was the first man, who was the first man to experience fear? Adam. When? In the Garden of Eden, he sinned, and before this, he had no no concept of fear. God created the world it was a, and put man in the Garden of Eden. It was not a scary, dangerous place. It was the exact opposite of that. It was a delightful, non-threatening place. And Adam and Eve lived in a, in a complete non-fear environment. They had no concept, really, or thought of fear. When Adam sins, fear becomes part of his experience. His sin was a barrier between God and himself, and that fear that he experienced was the outcome of it. The fear caused Adam to do something he had never done before. What did this fear cause Adam to do? He had never once tried this before, but at that moment he tried to hide from God. With the multiplication of sin, man learned this new emotion very well. And now fear has become part of everyday life, it has permeated every nook and cranny of our existence. Think about what we fear. We fear too much rain because we'll have a flood. But if it rains too little, we'll have a drought. We fear that the weather will be too hot or that it will be too cold. We fear that there's going to be way too much work to get done or that we won't have enough work at all. We fear that the nation's defensive system will not be enough to, to, uh, to keep us safe but then we fear that it's so strong that, it can't, that we can't overcome it, and it'll overpower us. We fear what we know, and we fear what we don't know. We are even afraid of being afraid. Now, it is true that certain personality types are more fearful than others. But no one in the planet is exempted from fear. Lots of people like to talk tough. Lots of people make bold statements like, no fear. Have you seen that in the back of truck windows? No fear. But most of the time, that's just an attempt to convince themselves to not be afraid. It's funny. I was at the, the hospital. The nurse came in, the first nurse, and I, She said, I said, are you the torture lady? She goes, yes, the torture begins now. <laughs> she had to put in my IV. And I said, I don't like needles. She says, that's not uncommon. And so I said, I'm not going to look because I don't like this. And so she did the whole rubber band around your arm thing and all that and thumping on my arm like that. And I'm looking over here because I don't want to see anything about what's going over here. And after a few minutes, Carol said, I saw you wins. <laughs> I said, yeah. And the, lady, the nurse laughed. She goes, he didn't do bad at all. She goes, you want know the reality is? She goes, we never have trouble with guys like you. She goes, you want to know who we have trouble with? It's the big biker types <laughs> that are covered in tattoos. She says, I had a guy, I just opened the package, and he passed out cold. <laughs> 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 so, you can act all tough and all that, but fear... Is part of our life. No matter whether you're a nervous Nelly who's chews your fingernails to the nub, or you're the macho John Wayne type, we all have a tendency to fear. It comes part and parcel with sin. Number two, sometimes fear seems justified. Sometimes fear seems justified. Before we went to Israel, I always had the wrong picture in my mind of the Sea of Galilee. In my mind, I saw it kind of like the ocean, where you're standing out there and it's just this huge body of water. And, you know, you, all you can see is water. If you've ever been out on the ocean, that's all you can see is water. It's kind of, it's interesting and almost disconcerting at the same time, because all you can see is water. That's how I envisioned the Sea of Galilee. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you think Lake Red Rock or Lake Sailorville Lake, you are really close to the ballpark. When you're standing on, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, you can see basically all the way around it. You can see across it. You can see the whole thing. It's that small. But there's almost no shore because the mountains, almost all the way around, rise very swiftly, very quickly up so that what you actually have, it looks more like a bowl. You have a very small lake. We, don't, we would call the lake. We wouldn't call it a sea. We'd call it a lake. It's a very small lake with mountains that just rise very quickly. Well, what that does is the wind comes whipping down through there and across that water. And while we were there, there was a sign uh, off, this, off uh, the, the sea for a ways. And it said, the water was up to here. I don't remember, numbers don't stay in my head, but it was either 10 or 15 feet high. 15, the waves had come off of this lake. It's not very big. Think about Sailorville Lake was 15-foot waves. Now, we are, when we go out kayaking, it's not unusual for a boat, a motorboat, to pass us. And if the guy's not paying attention to what he's doing, he can create some pretty good waves for us. They'll be 8 inches or 12 inches high. And you got to pay attention to that, or they'll capsize you with uh, with eight or ten inches. But the side walls of this church are just at eight feet, maybe a little little maybe a little over eight foot tall. Now put, look at that and think of the waves being twice that high, while you're sitting in a boat, a rowboat. <laughs> now, doesn't fear seem kind of legitimate here? <laughs> This is, we're going down here. They've been rowing for all their worth, and we're going down. That's all there is to it. We can't get out of this thing. It's a very serious situation. Fear seems justified. In this world that we live in, sin runs rampant. The world is full of evil and wickedness. It isn't some bright, happy picnic spot but a dark, dangerous place that is under siege by the God of this world. Treachery and deceit lie on every corner and traps are laid for God's people. On top of that, we have centuries of sin that have wrecked havoc on everything and we are feeling the long-term effects of that sin. Logic would tell us that where we live, Fear is justified. We have a tendency to fear, and fear often seems justified. Number three, we often have trouble discerning friend from foe. We often have trouble discerning friend from foe. We might say fear from non-fear. We have trouble discerning friend from foe. If you would have been out on the, the Sea of Galilee, at 3 o'clock in the morning during this event. And you would have said to the disciples who were rowing for all their worth, if you could have one person here with you at this moment, who would you choose? Would there have been any debate in their mind who they wanted in that boat at that moment? Without question, man for man, they would have each said, we'd sure like to have the Lord Jesus here with us right now. He's not here with us. We sure wish he was. If they could have chosen one person, it would have been him. He would have been the only one that they could have said, he could save us out of this. But when the Lord comes to them, what do they do? They cry out in terror. They are scared to death. They are more afraid of their friend than of the storm. The answer to the storm is coming to them across the water. But if they would have been given a choice at that moment, they would have asked that figure to be taken away. Isn't this so often how it is with us? The solution that we have, we have a difficulty that we're facing, is there. But we don't recognize it as the solution. And so we fear it and desire to be rid of it. Given the chance, we would more often than not choose to have the solution to our problem go away because we don't recognize it as such and we don't understand it. The reality is, we can't tell friend from foe in this situation. Does that make sense what I'm saying here? They looked out and they should have said, The Lord's coming! But they didn't recognize him and they said, this is fearful, and this is on top of fear, we have this unknown person coming, and then we cry out in fear. The reality is, we cannot tell friend from foe. So we have a tendency to fear. Fear often seems justified. We have trouble telling friend from foe. Number four, the command of the Lord is always fear not. The command of the Lord is always fear not. I have found that we as God's people like to convert God's commands into suggestions. We like to allow the devil to add his, Yea, hath God said to everything that we are questioning so that we give ourselves a few options. Now, we don't do typically things like this with murder or the worshiping of stone idols. But when it comes to the commands like fear not, we make that more of a suggestion, more like a good idea. Now, I suppose that if you go through the scriptures and find out how many times it tells us to not murder, I imagine you could probably find a dozen times when it tells us that we should not do that. If you were to go through and find out how many times does it say that thou shalt not commit adultery? I'm guessing you'd probably find a dozen or so times it would say that. If you would go through and find out how many times it say we shouldn't worship idols? I imagine you could find a couple of dozen times where it says that. But fear not. Over 350 times this is said in the scriptures. Now, I don't know what it was like around at your house. But in mine, when the kids were little, they were all still at home. When dad said it, that's the way it was. If dad said it twice, (laughs) you better not be trying to add any options to this thing. Do you understand the deal here? That's the way it is. And there aren't options available. This is the way that it is. I think we all understand that. Now, if the Lord said this over 350 times clearly, are there options here? Ask yourself this morning. This is a question that you must answer. How serious is God about this? Is fear not a good idea? Is fear not a suggestion? Is fear not a strong recommendation? Is fear not a direct command that he fully expects you to obey? I'll give you a moment to ponder that. Is this a direct command? Does he make allowances here in case you're a nervous Nelly? If you have a family history of worry, do you get an exemption? Does the size of the problem that you happen to be facing make exceptions? Did he command it or not? Does it read, try not to fear? Only fear when it's logical? Keep your fear to a minimum? Fear only in fearful times? Or simply... Fear not, or as in this passage, be not afraid. What is it? Is this a direct command or not? Now, if you say, I don't know if that's a direct command or not, then you have a lot of talking to do with the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to need to explain a few things to you. But I think every Bible believer can actually look at this and say, There's not any options here. If you've said it 350 times, this is, and all that you always say is be not afraid or fear not, then, okay, it's pretty clear. Now, what type of fear not is this supposed to be? What type of fear not is this supposed to be? That may not be a fair question, so let's get it on the same page. Do you remember as a kid getting hurt? A little kid. You got injured. Who did you go to? Everybody says, Mom. You never went to Dad. You went to Mom because Mom would gently clean your owie. She would put a band aid on it, and then she would kiss it to make it better. That's why you went to Mom. When you went to Dad, This was a horse of a different color, as the old timers used to say. <laughs> what you got from dad was statements like You aren't hurt that bad. Quit crying. I've lost more blood shaving than that. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> now, th- let me ask you did it work? Sure it did on the outside, because you were more scared of Dad than any injury you had. So (laughs) you limped off with a smile on your face and went and cried in the corner. Is this the style of fear not that God is after? Be more scared of me than you are of whatever is there. Is he saying, in essence, Just suck it up and take it like a man. Fear not or I'll give you something to cry about. Right? Is this what he's asking for? I don't think so. What kind of fear not is he asking for? Well, how about this? Whenever I'm afraid, I hold my head erect and whistle a happy tune so no one will suspect I'm afraid. And then the last verse of this or the the chorus is, The results of this deception is very strange to tell, for when I fool the people, I fool myself as well. Is this what God expects from his fear not command? Just whistle a happy tune, put on a brave front, and trick your feelings into being brave? It's a lot of times what we try. But do you honestly think that's what God expects he just wants you to whistle some happy tune and convince yourself that everything's okay? I don't think so. We have a tendency to fear. Some fear seems justified. We have trouble discerning friend from foe. The command is fear not. Number five. Fear not is based In it is I. Fear not is based in it is I. When God gave the command, fear not, he wasn't telling us to try to force the fear down, try to think happy thoughts and deceive ourselves into thinking that everything is okay when it's not. My friend, the world is a dark, dangerous, dirty place filled with evil spirits, the sworn enemies of God. They are as a roaring lion seeking God's children to devour them. To go around whistling a merry tune to keep from fearing makes as much sense as the disciples rowing all night, whistling their heads off saying, boy, aren't we happy? This is a lovely day for a boat ride. Is that what God would have expected? Was that what the Lord Jesus expected when He came on them? Them to be whistling? (laughs) Oh, wasn't this fun? For you to do that in this world makes that much sense. Your fear not is just whistling, hoping for the best, and ignoring the fact that we live in a dark, dangerous place. Who in their right mind would whistle? who in their right mind would not fear in that case. The command to fear not didn't come because there's nothing to fear. It didn't come because there was no danger. The command came because it is I. The fear ceases because a greater force overrules the danger. Who is this greater force? Who is this, it is I? For the disciples, the one who is saying it is I is the one who they had seen already calm a storm simply by speaking. It is the one that they had just seen feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. This is the one who had healed the lame and the blind and the deaf and who had raised the dead. But he's more than just that. The wording, it is I, is arguably referring to the great I am. It's the name that God told Moses, this is what you're going to call me, the I am. This is not the only reference in the scripture where Jesus Christ is called the I am. This is the, the, it is I, is the creator God of the universe. He's the sustainer of everything. He's God of very gods. And he's standing there beside the boat. He isn't a million miles away. He isn't sending an angel as his representative. He didn't assign the job to somebody else. He's standing there beside the boat and says, it is I. Be not afraid is based in the fact that it is I. He is there. You're not all by yourself. It's not an ignoring of the danger. It's not a, we'll just whistle so that everything will be okay because, okay, we'll just ignore that fact. Be not afraid has no meaning without the it is I. But because the great I am is on the scene, fear is unnecessary and inappropriate. Do you not see this, my friends? In your everyday life, in your moment-by-moment life, God isn't telling you that there isn't anything dangerous or scary or difficult. That would be untrue. He isn't telling you to hide your fear and whistle happily to trick yourself. That would be deception. What he is telling you is fear not because it is I. I am right here with you. A far greater force than your problems could ever be is present with you. With the great I am ever present. What?" Is there to fear? I suppose Isaiah 41.10 says it as well as any. Most of you know that. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Fear is is based in the it is, I'm sorry, I said that incorrectly. Fear not is based in it is I. And number six, with this we're done. It is our fear that limits our experience. It is our fear that limits our experience. This passage does not record what happened next. Matthew chapter number 14 does. When the disciples recognized that it was the Lord standing on the water, when he says, fear not, uh, it is I, be not afraid, when he says that, do you know what happens next? In this story, what happens next? The Lord's there, they, he says, it is I, be not afraid. You know what's the next thing that happens? Peter says, if it's you, call me out. Let me come out there on the water. Now, I've heard a lot of people beating Peter up because he sank. But he is the only one that ever walked on the water other than the Lord Jesus. He has an experience that nobody else got. When they were all hunkered down in fear, he wasn't getting out of that boat. But when he actually saw who was standing there, He got out of the boat. Now, he did take his eyes off the Lord, and he should not have done that. But had he not taken his eyes off the Lord, how far could he have walked? He could actually still be walking on that water at this moment. His experience, when he learned to fear not, his experience changed. Now, I don't suppose that any of us have any great need of walking across Sailorville Lake. Joe and his ice fishing, <laughs> when the ice gives way, he may want that. <laughs> Most of us have no need to walk across any wa- body of water, literally. But if I asked you this morning, what miracle, what unbelievable impossible thing needs to be done in your family in your life in the lives of the people that you care about what needs to be done our fear limits our experience and if we would obey the command of the Lord not because there isn't anything to fear but because he is God And under his protection, there is nothing to fear because the greater force overrules anything that we could ever be facing. When we will actually obey that command, it opens up our world of experience. It opens up the possibilities of what really needs to be done in our life. When we will quit fearing, quit disobeying, and start trusting and expecting from a God who is the great I am. We have a tendency to fear. In our minds, some fear seems justified. We have trouble discerning friend or foe. The command is fear not. And fear not is based in it is I. Fear, it's fear that limits our experience. The next time you are tempted to fear, remember it is.